This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of PlantYourself.com and the Big Change Program with Josh Lajani. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a fruitful and fun life. Two quick things. First, you can still get the report, the No Recipe Required Cheat Sheet at plantyourself.com slash cheat. Just give me a name and an email so I know where to send it, and you'll also get a complimentary subscription to the Big Change Bulldog. What is the No Recipe Required Cheat Sheet? It's just a list, a couple pages long, of like meals you can make for breakfast, lunches, dinners, desserts, snacks, just without needing cookbooks, recipes, just, you know, stuff that we know how to make, and sometimes we're just in need of an idea. So you can get that at plantyourself.com slash cheat. C-H-E-A-T, all lowercase. Second thing is, Josh and I are opening up the Big Change program again to a small cohort. We're going to experiment with sort of bringing people in in small groups and integrating them into the existing program because we discovered that the two cohorts that we're running, one started in August and one started in January, are merging together quite nicely. And it kind of really makes sense to connect people and bring them together rather than running these entirely separate hermetically sealed groups. So if you're interested, you can go to bigchangeprogram.com, sign up for the test drive, and that way you'll get on the early notification list because we're not going to be taking a whole bunch of people at once because we're still trying out this new concept. Okay, so this week's episode is a conversation between me and Josh Lajani as we're driving back from Marshall, Texas from Health Fest in early April in his truck. So the first thing to note is that it is not studio quality. It's me holding a handheld recorder and trying to remember to push it in his face when he's talking and bring it back to the middle when I'm talking. And I think it's clear enough, but you'll certainly get some sort of ambient uh, traffic noises and wind noises and truck noises and stuff like that. But the reason I wanted to have this conversation with him was we were on a panel the day before, the, the closing panel of Health Fest and fielding all sorts of questions from audience members, and somebody asked a question about bone broth. And I was going through in my mind the answer that I would give, which has to do with, you know, nutritional biochemistry and all this stuff. And luckily, Josh got the microphone before I did. And he said, you got to think about this in terms of, like, naturally attainable quantities. Like, how much bone broth could our paleo ancestors have actually created? Were they going out slaughtering enough animals that they could have a big pot of, of simmering bones and drink this stuff every day? Like, yeah, if you killed an animal, you'd probably take the bones, do something with it, make a broth. But you wouldn't have this on a regular basis. And it occurred to me that that way of looking at things, of asking the question, what's the natural attainable quantity of this substance in nature is a really good way of looking at a lot of things. It's a good way of answering the question about food without having to go into the science or without having to go into the ethics of vegan versus vegetarian versus omnivore versus reducitarian. That it's, it's kind of a, a way of looking at everything, kind of a unified field theory of life, is what can we get and what do we have to give in naturally attainable quantities? So... I put that to Josh, and we started thinking about it, and we decided on the way back, you know, instead of uh, counting cars or, or playing games with license plates, to have this conversation about naturally attainable quantities. So without further ado, here's me and Josh in a truck. I think that 
that simple concept of trying to identify and if we could and if we could if we could define what natural naturally attainable quantity is for the human animal then nothing else matters the argument between whether or not animal products in a human diet is is good or or which which diet's better a meat based diet or vegan based diet or what's better uh, raw or cooked or are nuts something that we should avoid or, or you know all of the different things I think could be really summed up and simplified by being able to identify being able to define clearly to people for them to use as a tool the concept of what naturally attainable quantity is and means for the human animal and, and part of that is like what we were saying earlier is we probably need to identify uh, the natural environment too as well right well, so yeah, like, like there's no paleo diet. There were, you know, hundreds of paleo diets. So like, well, you know, so there's there's where the organism originated, right? So, you know, we have our airplanes and our migration, so we could be from somewhere else than we are now. But let's just take someone who, who lives, you know, we're in uh, Louisiana heading down from Marshall, Texas to New Orleans. Did I say that right? Close enough. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. There you go. He's looking at you, boy. <laughs> um, so, you know, so around here, there's, uh, there, it looks like there's a lot of standing water, a lot of paddies, a lot of swamp and forest. So, like, take this micro environment or, or any micro, like, just choose one. And probably the same principles will apply, although the specific foodstuffs might be a little bit different. Exactly. And, and here... From being from Louisiana, you're gonna, you know, you think about things in their naturally attainable quantity. As least, at, at least I do, and I, and I'm thinking about, like, just take an example of, of pecans, right? We got pecan trees all over the place, but a naturally attainable quantity of of pecans is first of all, it's got to be in season, and then second of all, if all you have is just very basic tools even if you don't have basic tools if you have like really state-of-the-art tools to break to collect pecans and then shell them and then eat them think about how much effort and time it takes to collect an entire handful of pecans that we can mindlessly because of capitalism today and the way modern convenience is we can just scoop handful after handful from a five-pound bag that we bought at Sam's. It's whole food. It's plant-based. There's no oil. There's no added sugar. There's no salt. So everything's everything is like it's a it's a compliant food, you know, arguably. But in in for in 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 terms of quantity, you found a loophole. You found a loophole. And if we go with a naturally attainable quantity as a measuring stick for how and what we eat, that sort of can, like, fix everything. So let's use pecans as an example. How would you figure out, how would you think about a naturally attainable quantity? A naturally attainable quantity would be like if I was 
just for the raw organism human being if i was a butt naked human walking around in the woods and i found some pecans to eat first of all i'm gonna collect them up and then i have to figure out how i'm gonna crack them open to get first of all i have to get the that green husk part off um and then i have to get down to the hard part of the nut and then i have to figure out what i'm gonna what i'm gonna do to break into that nut and then i have to uh do that process and so how 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 much pecan meat am i gonna be able to realistically collect in a given day or a given season and then spread that out throughout my my year what does it look like you know what does that look like and and so realistically there's your quantity natural attainable quantity for the organism so realistically how is your your pecan consumption today compare to that little hypothetical movie picture in your head which also so so naturally attainable quantities can become the overriding the or the single factor that we use to think about food but it can also relate to other things so if you're sitting on your couch all day or if you have a desk job what's your natural attainable quantity of pecans it's zero because you didn't move to get any that's exactly right that's exactly right and and you didn't move to to get any but even though you didn't move it to get any there's there's still like a default naturally attainable quantity for the like the average human which is what biologically we've evolved and adapted to expect nutritionally from like our our nutrition uptake system the amount of fats and fiber and all of the stuff that's in a pecan there's the the body's expecting a certain a certain amount a certain quantity of that whether we whether we get up and move around and move about for it or not but if you're not moving for it if you're not even achieving that basic minimum um that the 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 pecan gatherer would have achieved in getting said pecans then you you're you're really out of balance if you eat any at all and so it's something that even though it's a very natural food and it's arguably a very healthy food and arguably necessary depending on who you listen to to eat nuts um it can be a dangerous and a tricky a tricky food to deal with if you're not if you're not moving your ass around so in order to mitigate that we must also shoehorn in what would be a natural quantity or at least attempt to introduce what would be a natural quantity of movement for the animal as well to bring that that collected food into balance with our movement does that make sense yeah so let's let's apply the the rule of naturally attainable quantity to some other foods let's let's see how universal it is so um we were just shopping at kroger and you passed the the the, the nutty bars right right nutty buddies or whatever it is or or some processed food like let's let's apply the rule to that that would be well you have to break it down into its parts and think about the sugar involved in 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 a nutty bar and just guessing i know that say one tablespoon of sugar i might be wrong on this is about is about the same 
as a six foot long piece of sugar cane. So just hypothetically, first of all, you're going to eat a six foot long piece of sugar cane. No, you're not. That's That would be impossible for your body to process. So we've removed that from its natural state. But let's just keep for argument's sake that 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 image how many tablespoons of sugar is in that nutty bar how many six feet pieces of six foot long pieces of sugar cane is in that nut in that nutty bar is that a naturally attainable quantity and ability do we have the ability to assimilate that whole food sugar cane stock into our bodies for nutrition no the other thing in there is made up of peanuts it's a nutty bar so that in between the layers is is a really sugary peanut butter fudge type of a of a, a pasty type of delicious uh thing so we have peanuts in that in in that entire box and we also we also have sugar and probably some milk and then you have then you have the um then you have the the chocolate that it's covered in so we're talking about you know processing finding collecting and processing cacao to turn it into to eatable chocolate not to mention the milk involved in that milk chocolate so then now we also have the the uh the uh other mammals milk if we're not using human breast milk in the chocolate (laughs) in the the milk chocolate covering for the nutty bar so we have all of these huge levels of input six foot stalks of sugarcane multiple times some other mammals milk that we need to find in in a quantity such that we can mix it and turn it into this uh unctuous liquidy um deliciousness from these uh cacao pods that we have had to collect and turn and 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 dry and roast and turn in and grind into a powder to turn into chocolate and not to mention all of the nuts the peanuts involved in the peanut butter so you have all of these big different piles of inputs and if you look at it in their raw form and think about the energy involved the leg work the arm work the back work involved in collecting that quantity of what could what would their rawest natural in the, at their rawest natural state the inputs if you think about all of that involved to get just that one nutty bar are you really moving in a way that's in balance with that naturally attainable quantity of those raw inputs so we're not saying never have a nutty bar but we're saying in its naturally attainable quantity you could have like one a year if you saved up for for a month or two like this could be your treat that's exactly right not an entire box but that's hard to do if you can eat one nutty bar a year that's kind of weird that's kind of unnatural that the natural thing to do is to gorge on what's currently available and for any animal and so that's the tendency we can recognize it that way. We can recognize those naturally attainable quantities in the, dis, in, the, in the disequilibrium between those raw inputs and our movement to acquire said raw inputs. Um, but, but ultimately, we are path of least resistance of ores, just like all other animals. 
And so when that is laid in front of you and it's an option, if you give yourself the option for that thing, um, more than more than likely, it's going to snowball into a gorge fest. That's that's how I operate it with with that. So a naturally attainable quantity for a nutty bar, exactly like what Howard said, would probably be in the area of maybe that one nutty bar a year, which is so ridiculous that why fuck with it in the first place? Right. So it's certain naturally attainable quantities are... Our, if we round them off, we attain peace. Yes. Right. All right, so let's talk about bone broth. <laughs> well, bone broth is just what it is. It's, it's bone broth, so it's, it's broth made of bones of cows, and so there we go. Here we go again. We are assuming that, that cows, we would have to be able to naturally attain a quantity of cow of other mammal or whatever whatever such that we would have bones left over to collect and turn into basically animal tea and not only do we do that the, the modern day argument is that it's super healthy and it's super it, it's it's we need it almost right and are we re- were we really collecting animals in that quantity how let's think about what it's going to take this animal outweighs us by tenfold so if we're butt naked wild humans in the how are we going to take that animal down theoretically could we like we would have to maybe what if we chop a tree halfway and to where so almost about to fall and then trick the cow into the tree's path and chop it all away and by some miracle we get the tree to land on the cow and kill the cow and then so now we get to or buffalo or whatever wild version of a cow we would be dealing with back then think about all of the the caloric inputs to achieve a dead cow that we're going to eat and then ultimately turn into bone broth are we really when we're sipping that coffee cup full of bone broth are we have we really invested those natural caloric inputs to attain that thing i no not even close it's it's not even close it's a it's a balance issue we're not even close to that you know does that make sense yeah, well, the you know even if we then you know have our hunting tools right. and we take it down, no human civilization has survived that that overhunted its its meat population, right? So we would take the slow and the weak and the old, right. and you know every traditional hunting society honored the animal, its spirit, and and hoped for its health and success as a collective, so that we could pick off. The little, the little bits we need to think about making bone broth, to take it and to um, concentrate, you know, this this huge animal into into something that we can we need a hundred of them in order to get this liquid means we would exterminate the herd. Yeah, and then therefore ex- exterminating your your because eating animals is more. I don't. I, I humans are brilliant creatures and we have 
figured out over the eons that, yeah, instead of starving and going extinct, we have figured out that, yes, we can, we can process and assimilate animal products, animal pieces of animal food into our bodies to keep from dying. But that's not what we're, that's not what we're doing today. Um, Lions just, we stockpile these things and make this part of our regular diet when it is anything but regular food for humans. It is so irregular. It is, it's not non-existent. I would totally, I would be lying if I thought that humans are, are never supposed to eat meat. But what I'm saying is that we are basically herbivorous animals that stockpile meat for food, which is confusing and part of our problem. It's confusing to me that that's what we do. Lions don't go around. Like, you don't see lions stockpiling gazelles. Like, oh, man, killed eight of them today. That's not how lions operate. They, they, they are surviving. And our survival needs when it comes to meat are, like, minuscule. They're nothing. And it's about survival to me, you know? Um, and we would need all of these tools. We would need to leverage all of these modern technologies to be able to uh, circumvent the like the caloric investment to even get a, a thousandth of what we're able to attain at the grocery store today. So it's the same as, as sort of having a household budget. Uh-huh. Right, you get certain. In, you you don't get to spend more than you make, uh-huh. unless you get a credit card. Right, and then you can overspend. And so our credit card is, you know, all the technology that we're using is fueled by pulling things out of the earth that aren't going to be there for future generations. Okay. So so our our agriculture, our animal agriculture, it's all fueled. You know, our our, our um, transportation is all fueled by fossil fuels. Which we are using up, and so it's like we're eating the calories that are in, you know, sort of in the ground that for future generations. We're consuming them all because we're we're exceeding our solar budget. That's exactly right. And if we can address that pragmatically, we don't. We can. We can. We can do a couple of things. It makes us. It makes us healthier. It. 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 It shores up. Um, it shores up our future generations um what you would survivability let's say not only that current day uh it could remove a lot of the volatility in a in in the oil field which is at least help to mitigate that volatility if our demand for the for that commodity was greatly reduced it could even that out and the wild swings in that market could maybe be could maybe calm down. There's a lot of reasons to be more sensible about how we approach naturally attainable quantities, whether it's foodstuffs or, or, or um, the rate at which we can cut down trees or the rate at which we can accumulate mileage or what. It's, a, it's just a... Uh, it, and then... And, it's just a really worthwhile thing to contemplate. And of all of the things that we're doing to contribute to this volatile 
um, market that's very important to my home state of Louisiana, eating meat in an unnaturally, eating, eating animals in unnaturally attainable quantities is the biggest thing that we're doing that contributes to that, to that, to those wild boom bust cycles that we've experienced here in Louisiana for my whole life. So if we look at eating animals and let's, let's make it even easier. Let's not be butt naked humans out in the wild, but let's be modern humans with, you know, cows and chickens and things like that and little farms. So we have chickens on our property. And if we didn't buy chicken feed, we would have to grow uh, probably two thirds of our land would have to be under seed to feed the chickens. And so as a result, so if we, if we don't buy feed, we could support maybe two chickens for a household of four on our, on our dinner scraps. And so, and the chickens we have now are like four or five, six times bigger than the chickens from even 50 years ago. So let's, let's take them as the, as the natural, even though they're also hybridized like crazy and, and, and artificially selected for. But let's take like a 1950s chicken, which would have laid 30 eggs a year. And so we get 60 eggs a year from these, from these two chickens, which is for a family of four, 15 eggs a person which is about an egg every three and a half weeks. And if we want, a if we want it sustainably, if we want, if we want to keep getting eggs after those in initial chickens have died, we're going to need a rooster. So one of those chickens has to be a rooster. So we're only, we're only getting 30 eggs a year from that one chicken, which is, you know, half an egg a month per person, which I would say represents a naturally attainable quantity of egg. Yeah, that, that seems more like a natural thing to me. I could see a wild human stumbling upon a nest with eggs that are not running away from them um, and saying, oh, food that's not running away. I don't have to chase it. I, you know, it, But that's not going to be something that you're going to find three eggs every morning with you know bacon for breakfast. It's going to be something that is very sparsely found in your diet and it's random at random times you come across it and even in this modern uh, existence if you do it consciously like you were talking about you can approach that naturally attainable quantity with pragmatism and a little thought and and, and give a fuck <laughs> so so let's take let, let's take some more foods let's let's talk about um, whole grain bread whole grain bread you know even Ezekiel bread the most pure perfect <clears throat> McDougal approved, Esselstyn approved, Rip approved bread, right? Um, is think about the what is what is grains? What is wheat? Wheat is seeds on the end of this big grassy thing, and so we would have to go and we would have to collect these big stacks of grass, and then we got to remove the grass from the seed, and then we got to remove the chafe from the seed and then we have to figure out some sort of way to turn that seed into into a powder that we then have to mix with water and at least water let's just stick to water right so all of those inputs think about all of those caloric investments to achieve that to achieve that 
big quantity of seeds. Think about the amount of wheat that you would have to collect to get just one one Ezekiel bread slice or one Ezekiel English muffin worth of end result. It would be astronomical. And are you really moving that much when you eat a slice of Ezekiel bread? Are you moving in a way that is close to or, or, or even approaching the amount of caloric inputs to collect one English muffin worth of wheat berries. And I want to add another twist to that, which is you need, and if you, if, you know, if you drive through the West and you see our monocrop agriculture or anywhere where there's big fields, right, the fields of wheat are, will stretch for hundreds of miles, or the fields of corn, or the fields of soybeans, or whatever, whatever the crop is, or rice, or sugar cane. So it, it, by, by definition, to get the amount of bread that we, that we get, we need monoculture, which makes us extremely fragile to drought, to, to pests, to something that, uh, to disease, that's something that if we're, if we're just, if, if we're eating those foods that require huge amounts of input, even if we could do it, the civilizations that have been based on those collapse really easily. That's exactly right. Now, then, that's exactly right. The, that civilization is fragile to, uh, you know, just like you were saying, a drought or something. So, it, and then even, you know, it's just smarter to, I, to, it's just smarter to diversify across a given piece of land to me. And it just makes good business sense. I don't see why you would say, oh, um, you know, I, I see why from a, from a, from, I might be getting off topic here, but I can see why from a, a, uh, economies of scale point of view, why if someone has a thousand acres would say, yeah, if I could just do a thousand acres of wheat, boy, I could get all of the inputs necessary to grow that a thousand acres of wheat, um, a lot cheaper because of the volume that, that I would be purchasing at. However, all I have is wheat. So if I have some magic, some magic wheat weevil that comes in, all my thousand acres is fucked. Whereas if I split it up and I did a hundred acres of different types of things, then that would be a lot more expensive inputs wise because I wouldn't get those massive economies of scale. However, if I get a, if I get a wheat weevil, it's only going to mess up my wheat. And then I have all of these other things to prop me up. That would be a more, more, that would be a smarter way to approach it from a business perspective. However, we have this unnatural thing called subsidies that keep that thout, that keep that farmer assuming that risk because the government absorbs the risk. So you can go and do these big monocrops. And therefore we create this naturally attainable quantity of this food that's not really natural in those quantities for this organism through very unnatural means of, you know, through, through, um, monetary incentives and, and, you know, capitalism and, and, and subsidies. Um, but that, that's, you know, that's the world we live in today. 
So I think it's in, in certain cases it's useful to add sustainably natural attainable quantities. So you could get a naturally attainable quantity for a day or a week or a month or a year or a decade or a hundred years, which is still a blink of a gnat's eye in in terms of geological history. And if they were still vulnerable to, to collapse so that, you know, if we're doing our, our wheat and more and more we need artificial inputs. We need petroleum inputs. We need chemical inputs. We need pesticides. We need things that are possibly or more and more people are getting sick from eating wheat. Maybe it's not the wheat. Maybe it's the pesticides, the glyphosates, the, you know, and, and the, the land is being degraded. So that's, you know, it looks, it may look like a naturally attainable quantity as a snapshot, but over time it, it's absolutely not. That's exactly right. Those and we we that huge monocropping protocol that we implement today is like you were saying. It's it's raping the soil itself. The soil is where our nutrients come from. The plants are just a means for us to get the nutrients that exist inside of the dirt. We can we don't eat dirt. We have to use the plants to do it. And the dirt itself is just is being squeezed and sucked dry by these massive monocrop operations that don't really make good business sense in the first place. The only reason that they work is because they're artificially propped up. And just because we participate in eating from that well in what we perceive to be a quote-unquote naturally attainable quantity doesn't mean it's a great um, thing to support. It's an artificially attainable quantity because of the artificial nature of the subsidies. Right. So, what what do we eat? You know, so what what can we get in sufficient caloric and nutritional quantities that is sustainable and natural? Um, to me, what pops up in my mind is just, you know, hand food. A lot of hand food. Things that we would be like wandering through forests and foraging and finding like like I know I'm partial but like apples and and uh you know and 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 and, and berries and greens especially greens cuz greens just you know I don't know if you've ever seen a field of of greens like but greens once you identify the edible types they're everywhere and so those would be in my mind make up by default just a big natural bulk of our nutrient uptake would be just greens just a, a plethora of different types of greens but not only that um roots and tubers those types of um, like what McDougal talks a lot about, those under underground storage, those energy storage vessels, I think those are, are things. And eating, and I think we would be able to attain naturally decent quantities of those foods that would, such that it would make up a large bulk, an enormous bulk of our natural human diet. Right. So if, we, if we're foraging... You know, as, as our butt-naked ancestors were doing, those are the things we've come across. But as, as modern humans, if we're trying to get away from these monocropping 
chemical heavy unsustainable systems that are killing the, the soil and our our relationship to it if you know we want to go back to basically like horticulture like having a little garden which is something i know is a very um traditional whoa easy we're about to have a wreck but yeah. not really yeah i'm on top of it, With it. Yeah. <laughs> interstate all right I've completely forgotten everything we were talking about. <laughs> that was a little frightening. Um, you know, so if you want to have your own little garden and you don't want petroleum inputs, you don't, want a, you don't need a big tractor, you don't need fancy equipment, you can grow in your garden without, you know, with, with, with your hands and, a, and basically some equivalent of a digging stick. Mm -hmm. You can grow tubers. You can grow sweet potatoes or potatoes easily that, you know, a small plot can easily produce 200 pounds, mm -hmm. which, which we do, and which will last for months, which can last until spring. Yeah. Right? So you, you can grow your greens that can last all winter. With some, of, some of the greens are like completely resistant to freeze, to frost, to hail, to snow. Some of the really curly varieties of kale. And, you know, I've had the privilege several times in my life of just being out in nature and gorging myself on fruit to utter discomfort, which is something you can't do with a lot of foods in nature without these inputs. But just walking around, we're talking about blackberries or you go, you go into a fruit orchard or even a single fruit tree. Yeah. The amount of fruit that a single fruit tree will produce over the course of its, its uh, fruiting month is astronomical yeah and you're not you're not right it's exactly right you nobody's walking around you're not gonna walk around i remember as a kid um you know just wandering around and picking up blackberries this time of year picking getting blackberries and eating blackberries off the bush that that, that off the bushes that would grow along the ditches and the bayous you know in the levees where i'm from um nobody's you're not gonna go around and um forage like a wild human would do and pick up handfuls of of wheat berries and seeds and eat it just like that or or um or you know rice you're not gonna go and grab a stalk of, of rice a rice stalk and knock knock it off in your hand and eat it that that's not that's not food that's not our normal foraging food maybe we eat those things in small quantities because we've developed the skill to to uh, harness fire and cook so we can take take some of the the tubers but we can eat tubers raw as well i've had i don't one of my favorite things when i was a kid was to go my grandfather used to sp spread you know turnip seed and mustard seed and rutabagas and um and on levees and, and so what we would do when it, as a kid is I would go and grab a, a turnip up out of the ground and I would eat a turnip like an apple it was very peppery tasting and pungent and strong and and but but in retrospect that was just all of the beautiful chemistry that happens in in plant life that we need to make our bodies healthier it, it's our medicine that's our medicine and um and so, so yeah, I, I think that we're meant to just get food off of the ground.
forge with our hands, you know, the things that we can pick up and pick up and collect. It seems unnecessarily slow that turn, was it not? Yeah. <laughs> My wife says he, he wants to buy the corner. Yeah. So yeah, so gorging is like cool. That's what all animals do. Squirrels are not fucking counting their acorn calories. They're eating as many as they can get their hands on. And that's the type of eating that, you know, animals do. They are eating as many as they can get their hands on. Lions aren't not collecting gazelles because because they shouldn't. They're not collecting gazelles because they can't. And they're it, what they can get their hands on is just that one that they have to share. So I think that if we can understand that, yes, we are meant to eat volumes of food, pounds of food a day, if we can just understand what those pounds are supposed to be made of and uh, and implement these naturally attainable quantity um um this naturally attainable quantity litmus test if you will to that food poundage daily boom you got an automatic healthy lifestyle so in other words the 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 break the 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 limit to what we can eat or what any organism can eat is not internal there's no kill switch for the, for any organism to say okay i'm going to stop eating this hyper palatable delicious thing whatever you know whatever it was meat or eggs or milk or honey or fruit or whatever substance you put in front of any animal if it's their food they're going to eat as much of it as they can the, the limitation was systemic it was environmental and so if you have if you if it's like a perfect system like an invisible hand you have all these creatures going around trying to optimize their input and you have a system that naturally limits that input then everything everything that survives and evolves is exquisitely good at harvesting from its own niche that's exactly right and to put that to put that to test if you to prove a point anybody who's ever had a bird feeder in their backyard if you see a squirrel now that squirrel has an unnaturally attainable quantity of seeds that he likes to eat and that squirrel is going to get fat as shit he's not going to go anywhere he's going to stay right there at that bird feeder and eat as much of the bird food as he possibly can there is no calorie counting there is and he's not wringing his hands over oh damn i'm going to the bird feeder again today shit i have to stop this eventually no he just sees it as a thing that's in his bailiwick if you will of food choices and he's he's going to the well and knocking it out getting it done every day and that's kind of how we're meant to be that environment for that squirrel has been unnaturally adjusted by a human we just passed a field of cows on our right what about like you know free-range grass-fed beef how, how is that unnatural right now it's it's still I, I, whether it's free range or not. It's I mean we have to we have to think about what I was talking about earlier. How and how is the human? That's basically any any pasture I, can be. We can think about it just like that bird feeder to the squirrel. Capitalism is providing a bird feeder of unnaturally attainable quantities to us and we're the squirrel you know what i'm saying 
Also, those cows are very placid and protected because we've killed all their predators. Yeah. Right. So if they if those cows if we still said okay we these cows are hanging around there's they're in the same numbers as we have them now we would be competing with a lot of other creatures and those cows would not be placidly sitting and eating the low grass right they'd have to be hidden from predators in tall prairies and you know they'd be what buffalo or or whatever whatever like you know if, if we just let wolves and and uh, foxes and, and bobcats come back and we didn't protect all our, our livestock, there wouldn't be any cows, right? They, they're not a natural creature. They can't protect themselves, no. right? Chickens can't really protect themselves. No. We, need, we need to put them in coops and, and corrals. That's exactly right. We've created these, we've created these, these, uh, these animals that are basically just food waiting to die um and it's a, and it's just this weird twisted uh scenario now that you know i am where i am today and cause those words coming from my mouth with you know the guy who still has the big pit and used to pride himself on his ability to make succulent ribs and perfectly cooked ribeyes and all it's it's um it's a stretch i get it but it, it makes more sense to me and it's my pragmatism winning over my pragmatism as a conscious um um uh human who cares about the health of himself and his family and his fellow man making yes difficult decisions when you talk about it socially for something that is uh more natural not because i want to be vegan per se but because i respect nature and i love nature and i would love for us to be able to get closer to our natural state whether that's the you know the animals we keep or or the the uh the state of our our health and bodies you know and mindset so I think this, this, this concept of is it a naturally attainable quantity or a sustainably naturally attainable quantity can help us when we are getting into this lifestyle and we have, you know, naturally we have all these questions, right? As, you're, as Sid was saying at the, at Marshall, Sid Garza Hillman was saying at this talk at the Health Fest, we don't devote this kind of scrutiny to our shitty diets right to our, our mcdonald's and our applebee's and our blooming onions at outback and our you know lean cuisine we don't subject any of that to scrutiny like is it shitty enough for us but but all of a sudden when we're going to a, a healthier diet we have all these questions and maybe the questions are coming from a good place of suddenly caring so let's let's assume that but we can easily get distracted by all the debates instead of just asking this very, very intuitive, universal question. Is this a food that I could attain in the natural, you know, what is the naturally attainable quantity of this food? So it doesn't, ethical considerations aside, you can eat meat, you can eat fish, you can have nuts, you can have nutty bars, you can have anything. There's nothing, there's, uh, you know, I, I suppose like Skittles, probably couldn't exist with all their artificial colors and flavors right which is again you know zero is a number like to just to just ask this question and then assume that if you if you ask that question you can't eat pretty much ad libitum and be in balance with your weight your health your your ecosystem and your planet yes and that's what i apply to everything 
that goes on my plate and that I put into my body. And I, and, and, and I think it's worth explaining and defining and trying to get people to understand the concept. And it's a beautiful litmus test for anything that you're going to put into your body. Is this, and if you can answer this question honestly with yourself, is this, when I think of it in its rawest, most natural state, is this a naturally attainable quantity of this food? So, entire watermelon? Eh, yeah. Yeah. Um but not not all not all year long. Not all not all year long. And but uh 10 pounds of crawfish? Problem. That's a little bit different. I used to eat 10 pounds of crawfish at a time. Not not to mention 10 pounds of crawfish and three or four lengths of sausage and two or three ears of corn and a couple of potatoes. Right, we is, we are getting way outside of not only our naturally attainable quantities, but our ancestral kunas attainable quantities. Those people were barely surviving, and they decide to eat these bugs out the swamp. It's not a, it's not a celebration. We should celebrate the fact that they survived by surviving ourselves in our current environment. And that means sidestepping some of our traditions that have extrapolated into complete disequal, complete, I don't know what the word I'm trying to say is here, but just complete out of balance, gluttonous behaviors it's just out of balance it's and we've we've taken these seeds of survival mechanisms and turned them into complete gluttonous protocols that are ironically killing us so you mentioned that you can eat some tubers out of the ground raw like those turnips but what about like you know we you and I both get the bulk of our calories from tubers that have to be cooked sweet potatoes and and regular potatoes so what about cooking versus raw like you might think that if you're going back to butt naked humans that we need to be on raw food diets right and and beans you know and beans and legumes also those things are i think uh, we can attain those things in 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 big enough quantities to to make meals of regularly um but yeah, so and 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 beans as a as a as a gardener, beans you know you plant a few rows of beans they'll last all year. Again, you can get 50, 60 pounds from a from a hundred foot by three foot garden row. So you can certainly so again the naturally attainable quantity is is consistent throughout the year. That's exactly right. I, and I see us you know you see a pea pod hanging from a tree that that makes good sense to me that that a human early human identifies that as hey food and then we remember that and then we go blah 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 you know it just makes good sense to me that that's good solid human food but yeah to cook those things again we we're talking about to be able to cook those we had talking about having to go around and uh we know we've harnessed the ability to to cook food i think that that's pretty evident i mean i've seen some stuff on national geographic that you know fire pits from you know 150,000 years ago 200,000 years ago um and so i'm pretty sure that uh you know we we've been collecting wood to make fire for for a very long time so i think that cooking our potatoes and beans um is a natural human thing 
uh, I think getting very fancy culinarily speaking might be fun and a good way to get people to transition from a from a very sad diet uh, to to one that is a lot more health focused and 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 human centered but at the end of the day I think some of those we could talk about maybe um, like uh, some of the techniques being done in kitchens as unnatural in unnaturally attainable quantities think about all of the different fires required on a on a you know on a saute line or something and even though it is perfect uh no oil added whole food plant-based there's a i think there's a we get too so caught up in making everything um about culinary shits and giggles um, that we forget about our naturally attainable quantity of, of fire. I think having one heat source on which we sort of kind of very efficiently um, um, cook these things that need to be cooked for us to assimilate inside of our bodies and, and digest more properly like like uh, you know the lycopene and beans and stuff like that those things go away once you cook them and it, and it's and it, it makes it better for you actually so so it's necessary but I think we go over the top by doing all of these weird cooking these not weird I don't mean to sound like I'm beating up restaurants or, or I just did that Iron Chef yesterday. I thought that was a really fun thing to see. Um, but I think sometimes that we get we get too far away from how simple our natural food preparation actually is and should be and was. You know, does that make sense to you? Yeah, and you know, having lived in Africa for a year and having seen a lot of you know sort of Zulu culture. In, in remote villages where there, there's an outdoor kitchen and fire is something that is taken very, very seriously because yeah. they're, you know, they're, they're miles away from, you know, the store where they don't have any money to buy charcoal or, or whatever. And they certainly don't have, you know, propane and things like that. So they're collecting wood to make their fire and they are very strategic about how that fire gets utilized every single step of the way you know you use you use the early fire for certain things the hot fire for and then as it, as it cools down in the ashes you put your tubers in those and you have them the next day and you know so and the more communal you are so you start talking about natural naturally attainable quantities like humans in, in Western civilization are lacking naturally attainable quantities of community. Yes. So if you had a community f kitchen, you could have three or four fires going and you could have three or four different dishes. You'd have someone is stewing some birds in a pot. Someone else is making the big thing apart. Someone else is steaming the greens and, and chopping up the tubers that, you know, the more communal we are, the fancier we're allowed to get. So if you're sitting at home, and you're, you're just a couple going out to these fancy restaurants, there's, again, an imbalance. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a more subtle thing, but I think it's real. That's exactly right. And I think that, you know, we have to, just like what you were talking about, that's what, exactly what I was fixing to say. Your, your fire, um, when you live in a, in, in a in a environment of scarcity, is going to be temporary. There's a finite period in which that fire is going to be rolling. You know, that fire is going to be good and... and, and you'll use that fire 
And so in that window, you get something cooked. But that thing that gets cooked is going to last longer than than the fire, really. You're cooking something, like say a bowl of potato, like a pot of potatoes. Those potatoes are going to outlast that fire. And so you're cooking on this fire that's temporary but it's it's food that's also temporary but it's gonna la- it's gonna last a lot longer on the fire and, and also think about the caloric investment involved in collecting the wood to make that fire and so just because it's um just because it's a potato think about the think about the caloric investment necessary to eat five pounds of potatoes or whatever you're you're doing and think about what it would take that african to um to prepare that that poundage if you will um of food and keep that in your mind as you're eating even what is a whole food plant-based no oil added diet we still need to concern ourselves with naturally attainable quantities of of those of of those foods to stay within uh, to stay within an energy balance you know and we alluded to it earlier but i want to be, talk specifically about naturally attainable quantities of movement of exertion of covering territory because this is this is this is the flip side whereas with food we're talking about natural limits and with exercise if we call it that or movement or exertion we're we're talking about natu- unnaturally imposed minimums so that, so we actually have to go out and get more than we normally would right i i like to think of myself in my life and i don't and i know i don't achieve this i know i fall shy of it i'm sure but i like to think of myself as moving across my territory with my own two feet my bipedal locomotion in a way, so as in, in a way, I think about moving across my territory as if I were collecting the food that I eat. Does that make sense? Like I want to move my body as if I had to forage all of the stuff that I buy at the grocery store that is a big part of me running as much as I do I, that's why I feel like it's natural for the human and that's what I'm that's kind of what I'm getting at I know I'm stumbling over it a little bit we're kind of just you know talking off the top of our heads but I feel like there's a balance that naturally gets struck by all other animals and us humans because we're so smart and we've created this environment that makes it very hard to be natural we have to shoehorn in our natural movement to balance our natural food even our natural food if we go all the way with a whole food plant-based diet i think it's still necessary for us to at least achieve or at least approach the movement that would be necessary in the wild for us to attain those quantities of very healthy, you know, tubers and greens and beans and fruits and stuff like that. Does that make sense to you too? Or Yeah. So, you know, that's why if I'm, you know, if I run a marathon, I can eat differently right. that day. I can eat, you know, I have to eat foods that are going to give me quick energy so if it's you know dates or nuts 
Whereas if I ate the quantity of oh, what a beautiful bird, beautiful, big egret, egret. <laughs> if I ate the same quantity of dried fruit or dates or nuts uh, on a regular basis, and I wasn't running 26.2 miles a day, I would be overweight. That's exactly right, and that's how we can eat a whole food, plant-based, no oil diet, and not lose weight. I see it a lot. And then what gets what the the thing that gets thrown on there is, oh, this doesn't work. I've tried everything. No, you haven't tried naturally attainable quantities. You haven't tried being an authentic human in the ways of authentic human movement in the authentic human menu, and um, that. Those things, if you can get them in balance, will completely change your life and your happiness and your mindset and your approach and how you empathize and sympathize and in in um and love. Everything changed for me when when these sort of these concepts really kind of clicked in my very simple, admittedly, mind, you know? Right. So, you know, when, when you switched, like one of the big things you gave up were um, fried foods, yeah. right? So that's like one of your nevers. Animal foods is a never for you yeah. and fried foods. So let's talk a little bit about like oil in terms of naturally attainable quantities because people, you know, throughout history have made things into oils. Oh, my God. Imagine the energy, the caloric. Again, I'm using this term again, the, the caloric investment and taking a pile of vegetables right and mashing them such that you get we know vegetables don't have a lot of fat in them right but mashing them such that you get out that minuscule amount of fat into a liquid form and leave behind all of that think about the pressure involved of the energy involved in creating this completely pure liquid fat from all of the from those vegetables or from the nuts or from whatever source it is to create that oil think about the energy necessary that the energy necessary to create it's to to make that thing even be in existence it's it's astronomical and are you moving in that way no is that food is off the table. That food is not food. It is a completely machinery-created substance. It's a chemical. It's, a, it's purely liquid fat. It's all it is. It is not food. And so, and it was a big part of my diet. Everything. I started every, people don't think of gumbo as fried food, but gumbo is totally fried food. Gumbo is fried food. A, a, a sauce pecan fried food because you are basically starting with a couple of cups of fried oil that fried oil that roux is basically nothing more than the crispy part of the chicken that's that's all it is that's all it is and so there's a there's a there's a big disconnect between fried food and people understanding the 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 detrimental effects of oil people often say oh well i don't eat fried food most of the time they say oh i don't eat that much fried food any is too much in my humble ex-fat opinion right so fried food is out for me because of the those uh those factors those those 
those factors involved of how much energy goes into creating oil in which we fry all of these things. So the oil is a terrible medium uh, for food. It's a great medium for taste. It is an amazing medium for crispiness and mouthfeel and taste. And it works wonders for uh, restaurants and revenues. I totally get that. And it's a hard thing to step away from for people who make their living on that. I understand that. Um, but, but it's not food and it's a huge part of why so many of us, besides the natural attainable quantity aspect of it just think about your greasy dishes in the sink after a, a a fat heavy meal think about how 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 hard it is to clean a plate um after it's had fried chicken sitting on it and it's gotten cold and it's congealed uh, on the plate think about the gross uh residual residue grease residue in a in a sink think about how pipes get clogged i have rental property and people who drain pans from after cooking hamburger meat and pour it down the drain the p-traps get full i see it in i see it in lift stations underneath our sewer pumps i have a sewer business and i see just islands of grease solidified uh coalesced grease particles floating in lift stations all the time this stuff is what's in our arteries it's why it's why memo died at 67 years old it's why my bam bam doesn't know where his bedroom is it's literally the culprit it's what's clogging our bodies it's what's clogging our cardiovascular systems from feeding our brains and feeding the rest of our bodies it's it's what's blocking the nutrition that our bodies t- is is taking up from everything that we eat and getting it where it belongs in all of the different tissues and it's what's starving our our bodies from 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 healing through cellular regeneration it's a it's a problem not just the caloric um, not just the naturally attainable quantity part that is a that is tangential to us not being naturally able to achieve this food this thing as a food all right. So again, if we, if, you know, if you listen to some people, they'll say, "Well, everything in moderation." So then, let's say, what is moderation around oil? So let's say, you know, canola oil is your oil of choice, or soybean oil. Like, let's go out into that field. Let's first of all, let's plant the field, yeah, and harvest the field, and like just like like corn oil is also a very popular oil yeah. for frying in restaurants. You ever eat a, a uh, an ear of corn? How oily is it? There's no, there's, there's no oil. There's oil in it, but you wouldn't even notice it. it well, you don't taste it. So how many acres of corn does it take to make a cup of corn oil? Exactly. Like that's the amount, however many acres you are willing to hand, sow, tend, weed, plow, process, that's how much oil you get to eat. And, and it's not, a, you know, it may not be zero, but it ain't what you're eating. That's exactly right, and that's my point, and that's why it's a forever, that's a forever never food for me, and that's why, that's why, um, I know that that was one of my biggest issues in my life. We just stopped at a gas station, and I showed you how we roll in Louisiana at gas stations. A lot of times is, you know, you have the boudin balls and fried chicken and meat pies and all of the. We have this big vet of unnatural substance that we stick food in that makes it hyper palatable and we just 
clamor over it. But think about what Howard just said. How in the hell are we able to achieve that vat of liquid fat in our individual lives? Just just the just just counting the portion if you eat one meat pie, the portion of oil that it took to fry that one meat pie, not counting all the shit in the meat pie, just the oil that it took to fry that meat pie. Think about all of the inputs necessary to create that whatever, two or three cups of liquid as a cooking medium for that thing. It's just insane. It, and that's why it's gone for me forever. I'm totally okay with that. And if you're listening to this because you, you love animals and you're coming at it as an ethical vegan, how the hell is it ethical to, t- to take up that much habitat of every other creature on earth so that we can get our oil, our flour, our sugar? So, yeah, you, we're not pulling the trigger, but we're, imbi- you know, every piece of land is, is either supporting life or it's not. And so if we're eating crap, if we're eating highly palatable, highly concentrated stuff that is extracted from actual plants that we are growing in monocrops, then we are preventing a lot of other creatures from having their natural life. And I don't see how that's any different from killing chickens or cows. Amen. Amen. I couldn't have said it any better myself. I totally agree with that. I think it's just as un. I think it's I think it's unethical to participate in that paradigm whether you're vegan or not and um that's one big thing that i would love to see different about this entire movement and i do feel like it's happening i feel like the no oil thing is getting legs and people the clouds are starting to lift and people are starting to see the sunlight um you know through through the vegan junk food so i think we've covered pretty much uh everything i wanted to talk about do you have any uh wrap up thoughts no not really that was just an amazing conversation with a brilliant mind and i'm can't i'm still sitting i'm just beside myself that i'm driving through louisiana with howard jacobson talking about something that i'm very passionate about and we're recording it for posterity i I, i'm totally giddy like a schoolgirl. and thank you very much Yeah, and I'm I'm totally giddy that I actually managed to turn on the recording button and actually managed to get the recording. So uh, and uh, you know, and right right back at you, like this this concept of naturally attainable quantity is not my concept; it's yours. I got it from you, and it's just such you know, and it came up again because in the panel at Health Fest, somebody asked, "What was the question about bone broth?" If just it was really about no, it was there was another question about. How can you tell, like the latest fad? How do you know? Right, how do you, that's what it was. Right, and my answer was there were three answers that were all useful. I think my answer was, um, are you know, uh, what was my answer? Oh, is, if this was true, would humans have survived? Right, right, and then um, the doctor uh, uh, Jennifer Singh had an answer that I thought was more complete, saying someone says that to you or you read about it say great i'm very interested in that show me the 20-year studies epidemiological and um clinical that show that this is healthy for human beings and increases longevity over the long term and then you spoke and you said i said that my litmus test for anything i ingest is i think to myself 
is this a naturally attainable quantity for the human animal? And see, what I love about that is that you don't need to be an evolutionary biologist to figure this out. You don't need to be able to read all the pages in PubMed. You just need to have a basic, curious, coon-ass intelligence, and I'll just say native intelligence, like every human culture has until we are brainwashed by consumption culture, like everyone can find it in themselves to ask that question. That's a question, that's a skill that everyone has innately to just say, is this a naturally attainable quantity of this particular substance? It takes almost no education. In fact, the, the, the type of education that you would have growing up native in, t in touch with nature, in touch with natural cycles, and being out in the woods and eating things, eating turnips off the ground, and playing and eating blackberries. When you don't grow up in suburbs and cities where every, where food is always something you get from a shelf or a restaurant or a delivery truck, I think it's a a human inheritance to be able to ask that question. And as we've been kicking it around, I think. It is the most profound and universal question we can ask about just about any human endeavor. So I am so happy that you have kind of elucidated this for me. Well, I'm flattered. I would go one step further, I think, and say it's more than a heritage. It's a human mandate to think of how we consume in that way. And I'm flattered that you think something I have to say is useful. Uh, this is this is amazing to me. It's been an amazing eye-opening experience and it honestly helps me grow daily in my confidence of myself and my own thought processes so you're helping me grow and it's an amazing thing and, and I'm just I'm just I'm just extremely um, I'm just extremely proud to be part of this and proud to have you as a friend amen brother so uh, that's a wrap if you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. And for more information about the Big Change Program led by me and Josh, visit bigchangeprogram.com. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode at plantyourself.com slash 210. That's 210. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 209 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And if you get the podcast but not the newsletter, The Big Change Bulldog, you can sign up and get the No Recipe Required Cheat Sheet at plantyourself.com slash cheat. Let's hear it for the generous patrons who help me financially so that I can spend time on this show. They include Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Volkanovsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elizabeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzak, Jeanette Benham, Gila Lacerte, for your generous support of the podcast. I got to say, I'm getting better at this. I need some more names to uh, keep challenging my uh, VO2 max here. And thanks also to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his gorgeous song, Sabali Don, Dance of Peace. You can find more of his music at willridenauer.com. If you would like to support the show and challenge my VO2 max, you can share this and other episodes on social media and via email. You can write a review on iTunes, or you can become a patron of the show with a one-time gift or ongoing contribution over at plantyourself.com. Speaking of iTunes, I was moaning last week about a, a, a dearth 
of reviews on iTunes. And then right after I recorded, I went to iTunes and looked, and there were four new ones. So I want to read two of them today. Uh, one is by MMP Random saying, my favorite plant-based podcast. And it says, Howard Jacobson is a great interviewer. He has interesting and knowledgeable guests. Amen to that. He is smart, insightful, and compassionate. Aw. I strongly recommend this podcast. Lots of different topics are covered. It's never boring. Oh, thank you so much, MMP Random. And two days later, May 5th, Ingmod writes, I love this podcast. This is one of my favorite podcasts. Howard has great guests and asks insightful questions. I come away from every episode happy. I spent my precious time listening to it. I am sorry it's over and come away with excellent takeaways, such as the title of a book or podcast I'll want to investigate. Howard also links to helpful articles. I particularly liked his article about saying never to certain trigger foods. It has helped me so much. I also like how genuine Howard is, sharing his own experiences from time to time. I highly recommend this podcast if you're interested in health. Wow. Well, that's amazing. And the thought that, uh, you know, that I'm a, a worthwhile candidate for your precious time is really meaningful to me. So thank you so much, Ingmad. So garden news, the beans are up. I went to the garden yesterday. The beans are almost all up. I had to replant a couple of them, but basically like 40 or something bean plants. And I just, I looked at those beautiful dicot leaves pushing out of the soil and I, I got teary. Like I did almost nothing. And just by being in, in harmony with these mysterious, ineffable, incredible natural forces, like stuff's coming up out of the ground and it might feed me and my family this summer, fall, and through the winter. Like, wow. In running news, uh, I got the Umstead Half Marathon on May 21st, and I've decided to do it as a training run, which means um, basically I'm going to run 13 miles the day before as part of my plan to prepare for the Leadville Marathon on June 17th. So uh, that's the question is, can my ego handle not coming in with a good time, not chasing the other runners, but just sort of having a good training run, hanging out with my buddy Gio, and just enjoying beautiful Umstead Park in, uh, in Raleigh rather than trying to, trying to make this a PR. We shall see. <laughs> That's it for this week. So as always, be well, my friends.